This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network, Thursday night, big Thursday night from downtown Columbia. Phil Kornbluth, Pat Daniel, Chris Bergen off tonight. He's on the move with the Coastal Carolina basketball team, lost last night at Georgia Southern, now on their way to Troy for their final regular season game, which will be tomorrow night. Then off to Pensacola, Florida for the Sun Belt Tournament. What about the games last night? South Carolina, Alabama, Clemson, and Syracuse. Great win for the Tigers. Nice bounce back from that loss at Louisville. They are loving those shooting lines at Little John. Shot the lights out again last night. Comfortable margin over Syracuse. That's a school record 12th ACC win for the Tigers. 20 wins overall. Will they make the NCAA tournament with that resume? Well, there's still more work to be done, obviously. They go to NC State on Saturday. That's going to be huge for them. Those two teams are battling for that fourth spot, but the Tigers still have a chance to even move up more in the ACC standings if they can win their games moving forward. They do control their destiny from that standpoint. So you got Miami in first at 14-4. and four. Virginia, shocking loss last night at Boston College, 13-4. Pitts, 13-4. Clemson, 12-5. And, and then State, 12 and 6 and Duke is right there at 11 and 6. So Clemson plays State on Saturday, then they go to Virginia on Tuesday and then home to wrap up the regular season against Notre Dame. So they can help themselves tremendously if they can go on the road and win these two games. But State and Virginia of course will be very very difficult despite Virginia's loss last night. They are 21 in the net, and NC State is 37 in the net. Clemson is 75 in the net. So the net is still not great. Clemson is 3-3 three and three against Q1 teams. They are 5-5 five and five in their last 10. So they are still there, but they're not there yet. But they have a chance. South Carolina last night. This is why you play the games. This is why you never know. You had the number two team in the net against number 236. And for a good bit of that game, South Carolina had the lead. And they had the lead in the last few seconds, but they could not stop Brandon Miller. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon Miller. He was the center of conversation for college basketball for off-the-court reasons. And then last night, the center of basketball for on-the-court reasons. What a performance. 41 points, most ever at the CLA by a visiting player. Second all-time to Sundarius Thornwell, who in 2017 against Alabama in four overtimes had 44 points. 
That's the record for the CLA. Miller last night had 41 points, and there was no stopping him. He hit six threes. He had five layups. He had a dunk. He did whatever he wanted to, and especially at the end of regulation and the end of overtime, two layups that, well, saved it for Alabama and then won it for Alabama, despite everything else going on. You know, they say the great ones, when things are going on off the court or off the field, you know, the great ones have a way of closing ranks around themselves internally. You know, when Michael Jordan had controversies around him, he'd go off and have his biggest games. Tiger Woods, when things were going on around him, he'd go off and have his best rounds and win some big tournaments. The great ones have a way of doing that. Not saying Brandon Miller is going to end up being one of the all-time greats, but he certainly was able to shrug off what was going on around him and have a great game last night. And the USC fans, in particular the students, did the best they could to remind him of what was going on off the court. I'll give the USC students credit. They turned out in big numbers last night. They were loud and they were into the game. Tell you what, for it being far from a full house, maybe eight or 9,000, that was one of the loudest crowds I've heard there since the NCAA Final Four team. I mean, the fans were into it. It was emotional in the place. Uh, I saw two people being escorted out on my side of the court, and then I was told there was a fracas on the other side of the court that led to injections. These were Gamecock fans, and I think Alabama fans who were there were taking exception to uh, some of the things being hurled at Miller in particular. You know, he got the treatment every time he touched the ball, boos and catcalls and things like that. Seemed to bother him, I thought, early. He looked a little disheveled in the first few minutes, maybe rushing some things, but then when he hit that first long three, kind of settled him down, and he took off from there. So Alabama beat the Gamecocks in the paint. They had a lot of points off layups, but South Carolina, to their credit, uh, played extremely hard. Uh, Gigi Jackson was terrific for the better part of 27, 28 minutes. No, make that more like 31, 32 minutes. He didn't score for the final eight minutes of regulation, the final five minutes, the entire five minutes of overtime. He did not score. So he had his 19 points uh, prior to crunch time. Jacoby Wright and Michi Johnson were terrific for South Carolina in the latter minutes of regulation and in overtime. They pretty much carried the offense for the Gamecocks there. So Jacoby Wright, to me, has been a, a very big surprise offensively Watching him last night look for his shot, dribble into position to rise and shoot, and and seem very comfortable in doing so. He's got a newfound confidence in his offense, which can only bode well for South Carolina. So it's a loss. It's a stinging loss because it would have been great for South Carolina to upset the number two team in the country. Uh, but And I know the coaches don't ever want to hear this, but from where I'm sitting, I don't think Wins and losses matter with this South Carolina team because they're not going anywhere. But, again, I think it was another case where Paris has um, brought this team along. They haven't given up on the season in terms of how hard they're playing. And I thought the execution in a lot of ways was was good last night. Maybe, obviously, breakdowns defensively. Um, 
but offensively, a lot of good offense, a lot of good execution, uh, played hard, uh, gave it everything they had, and, and came up short. Now they have to go to Tennessee and repeat that, and and that will be difficult on Saturday night against, of course, another top-rated team in Tennessee. And then they go to Mississippi State, which is a bubble team for the NCAA tournament, and always tough to play down at the hump. And so um, they got those two tough games ahead, then they – close it out with Georgia. So the Gamecocks, you know, the best they can hope for right now, if they can, is, uh, well, they'd have to win out. They're 3-12. and 12. Mississippi State and Georgia are 6-9 and nine ahead of them. LSU and Ole Miss are behind them. If you're trying to avoid the play-in round of the SEC tournament, then they'd have to win out. They'd have to get to six wins and then see where the tiebreakers fell probably not going to happen so one more loss and they will be locked in to that play-in round in Nashville as one of the bottom four in the SEC up towards the top Alabama ran its record to 24 and 4 overall number two in the net 14 and 1 in the SEC Uh, Texas A&M 22 in the net 21 and 7 13 and 2 Kentucky uh, making a bit of a move here once again. Three straight wins for the Wildcats, 10-5 and five in the league, 19-9, and nine, 29 in the rank. And you know Kentucky will bring a bunch of fans, as many fans as they can, to Nashville to try to make Nashville a, a home court for them. But I got to believe that these other teams, Alabama should bring a bunch. Tennessee should have a bunch there. Uh, Auburn will travel well to the tournament. Auburn is 19-9, and 9-6. Nine, nine and six. 33 with their net. Tennessee is third in the net. So the SEC has number two and number three in the net rankings. And uh, that's why overall they're the number two conference. Funny, South Carolina, by virtue of losing close at home last night to number two, moved up six spots in the net. They went from 236 to 230. One and seven against Q1 teams is South Carolina. We'll hear from uh, Brad Brownell and Lamont Paris uh, coming up. Also, Mike McGuire, not Mark McGuire, Mike McGuire, head baseball coach, USC Upstate, will join us. Uh, He'll be with us at the 730 to talk about his team start. They are undefeated. We talk about South Carolina. We talk about Clemson. Uh, They are undefeated as well and playing very good baseball. They have a big tournament coming up at their place this weekend. We'll talk with him about that. Uh, Other basketball, of course. Uh, Tonight, you've got the College of Charleston playing a big CAA game uh, at their place down in Charleston. It's against Towson. And uh, the Cougars, of course, they can win their conference tournament, which begins next week and work their way into the NCAA tournament that way and guarantee uh, their way into the tournament that way. But they're going to have to deal with Hofstra, which also looks very, very good. Cougars with a net of 52, Hofstra with a net of 88. They're probably going to meet late in the tournament. Hofstra right now is 15-2, and and Charleston is 14-2 and in the league. Towson comes in with a net of 145, 11-5 in the league, and 19-10 and overall. So this will be a tough one, should be a tough one, the Towson Tigers uh, taking on Charleston. I think they're doing, isn't tonight that Sam told us they're doing the blackout there in Charleston? I think they're doing the blackout. 
or is it the whiteout? What do they do with, with the Charleston? Blackout, whiteout, whatever. They got the fans all dressed up uh, together to give themselves more of a home court advantage. Earlier in the year, up at Towson, when they met in late December, it's a tight one. It went into overtime, and Charleston won it 76-74. So could see a very close game tonight at the uh, TD Arena in Charleston uh, for that one. Other basketball tonight, of course, the USC women can win the SEC regular season championship tonight with a victory at Tennessee. That game will tip off a little bit after 7 o'clock. You've got the Virginia women playing at Clemson tonight as well. So that is it on the basketball front for us here in the state of South Carolina for tonight. All right. Our phone number, 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery Lucky Number. Here on Sports Talk, since 2002, more than $174 million in lottery proceeds has been used to purchase, maintain, and fuel over 2,000 school buses in South Carolina. Be sure to learn more about the South Carolina Education Lottery's impact at seeducationlottery.com slash education wins. And playing for fun is a win for education. It is a blackout tonight at Charleston, Pat tells me. Uh, Later on, Jim Corbett will join us. Of course, today, the Murdoch trial went to a whole new level because they put the defendant on the stand. And the defense had their go at it this morning, and the prosecution's been going at it this afternoon. It's over for the day. They'll pick it back up tomorrow. And, of course, Jim's been watching it. He'll share some thoughts on today's uh, activity with us later on in the program. We can take your calls if you want to join us. 888-898-2525. Back in a moment. Major Downer here from the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Boating season is just around the corner. To make sure that your boat is ready, check your registration sticker and ensure it's current. Find your registration card, make sure your life jackets are in good shape, and check your fire extinguisher as well. For more information on boating or boat titling questions, visit dnr.sc.gov backslash boating. Have you turned on the fun? Try Cash Pop. From the South Carolina Education Lottery. Pick one number from 1 to 15. Win up to $2,500. Or play all 15 numbers. And you're guaranteed to win. Play twice a day to double your fun. It really is that easy. Visit sceducationlottery.com to get the details. Cash Pop. It's the light of the party. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk on a Thursday night. Phil Kornblut, Pat Daniel. Pat, you were at the game with me last night. Well, you got there a little bit later. But Brandon Miller, my goodness, how good was he? You'd have to say he's a a lock for the freshman of the year in the SEC and perhaps perhaps the player of the year in the SEC as well. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any doubting that. And quite frankly, Phil, you and I were joking during the game last night. Some players would get distracted or maybe turned off a bit from hearing it from the crowd. But I think, if anything, this pumped that guy up. He seemed to almost feed into the crowd noise because, like you said, that was a fantastic environment. Kudos to the student body for coming out. They were raucous. They were loud. Lots of students didn't have to come out that late on a Wednesday night, but they did. Uh, And then, of course, other fans, non-students, were certainly loud and proud as well. Fantastic environment. Friend of the program, Mike Morgan, did a good job on the call. But I don't think there's any denying it. As much as people might have secretly or not so secretly hoped Brandon Miller might come out and lay an egg, he didn't. He he looked every bit the part in what we've been hearing. And if we're able to separate what's going on off the court with what he's able to do on the court, it really was special to watch last night. Very glad to, to have been there. And I hope this comes out correctly, and you can probably expand on this more. It was nice seeing Gigi Jackson and Brandon Miller matched up against each other, especially, think, correct me if I'm wrong, mostly in the first half. Uh, but that was nice to see. If I'm Gigi Jackson and I'm people around him, I'm Coach Paris, I'm the trainers, I'm sitting Gigi down and making sure he is very aware of what Brandon Miller is capable of because I think Gigi Jackson's capable of the same thing. It's just we need to remind folks Brandon Miller is 20 years old. I know he's only a freshman, but he is 20. Gigi Jackson just turned 18 and, quite frankly, still should be a senior in high school. He has a lot of growth to do, a lot of maturing to do, A couple, another year in the weight room, et cetera, et cetera. I really do think Gigi could put up similar performances next year in the CLA against other teams that the fans saw from Brandon Miller last night. We saw flashes of it from Gigi in the first half. I don't know if he maybe got a little tired, a little winded in the second half, or if the other team made some good defensive adjustments. Nate Oates may have made some adjustments at halftime. It was a bit surprising. Didn't see Gigi score after the eight-minute mark uh, in the second half, and then at all in overtime. So the final 13 minutes of game time, again, not sure if he was tired or what. He didn't even shoot in overtime. And for your best player to not put up a shot in overtime – Again, may have just been great defense. Got to tip your cap to Nate Oates in Alabama. But um, certainly think you need to see a little bit more production out of your best player or at least trying to get the ball into his hands and into positions to be successful in overtime. But I know you asked me about Brandon Miller. He's absolutely as advertised. Yeah, fantastic player. Now, as far as the -the off-the-court stuff, uh, Nate Oates did give an opening statement just to rehash what he said earlier in the day in his statement to try and clarify more his statement from earlier in the day at a press conference where he caused a lot of angst from people, especially at Alabama, about the the, the, the murder charge against a former player and Miller's involvement. So he opened his comments to the press last night by saying again that uh, he was sorry for how his other comments came across. He did not mean to be flippant or anything like that. Of course, he takes seriously what has happened, and he feels terrible for the families involved in all that. Uh, But they would not take any questions more than that. They wouldn't take any questions about anything other than related to the game. So you couldn't get into anything else. But I was thinking, and here is my final thought on it, where as it comes to this Brandon Miller situation, and it's not our fight. Now he's moved on. He's come to Columbia. He's done his thing, and he's moved on. So, you know, we around here don't have to worry about it anymore. It was only a major topic for us because Alabama was coming to Columbia. But there's just two things I I need answers about re- regarding this situation. Number one, 
did he know the gun was in the car when he got the text message? He had to know. My opinion is he had to know the car, the gun was in his car when he received the text message from his teammate to bring him the gun. Because according to what's been released, he didn't respond by saying, where's the gun? Or he didn't turn around to go back to their apartment or their living quarters to get the gun. So he had to know the gun was in his car. Number two, what did he think the gun was going to be used for or why his teammate wanted a gun at 1 o'clock in the morning after they'd been out in bars all night? What did he think was going to come of the use of this gun? And so, yes, criminally, it doesn't look like there are any charges to be applied here. But from a human standpoint, from a human standpoint, he came up well short. He could have, and I don't know if he thinks about this or not, if anybody's ever said this to him or not, he could have prevented the whole thing by saying, I'm not bringing you a gun. I'm not coming down there. Uh, why do you want it? You know, I need some, you know, I don't care if it's your gun. It's in my car, and I'm not bringing it to you, and I'm not getting involved in this whatever it is you're getting messed up in you know I got too much on the line here individually he he apparently never thought about that I don't care when we're talking about Brandon Miller and what his attorney is claiming you know I don't care about um, where he was that night where he parked his car the very simple fact of the matter is that he never questioned when he got the text message based on the information we've seen never questioned where the gun was. So he had to know the gun was in his car based on that. He had to know the car was, the gun was in, a, in his car. And he knowingly and obligingly drove his car to let those people get the gun, and then they used the gun as they did. So, again, he could have stopped the whole thing by not driving there and giving them the opportunity to get the gun. He, he really could. That's that. And then the other part is, the other part is, as we stated last night on the show, there is written policy by the University of Alabama related to having guns, firearms, weapons on campus and transporting them. And you would think that someone there at Alabama, when allowed to be asked about it, would have been asked the question, where does this policy come into play and how is he able to play? Why is he not suspended by virtue of having a gun in his car and probably at some point in time, crossing the limits of the Alabama campus. I mean, I can't believe that they had the gun in the car and never had it on campus um, or had the gun in their residence hall, which technically is on campus or I think is factually on campus, whatever the case may be. Uh, I mean, where does that come into play? And why has that not been applied in this case? If the Alabama AD was there last night, ADs don't normally travel on basketball games. AD was there. Greg Byrne was there. Also, from what I was told from some people, the the top people in the Alabama Communications Department, not just the basketball SID, but the top people in the Alabama Communications Department were there as well. So I think they were there to – prevent anything from coming out to prevent their coach from saying anything else make miller available to the media he scores 41 points you know 
He's the star of the night in college basketball, but you don't get to talk to him. So, And that does not happen normally. That was pretty odd, too. Yeah. So, Anyway, that's the end of it as far as we're concerned around here. It's Alabama's problem. It's the media in Alabama's problem. We'll let them deal with it, and we'll see what comes of it uh, moving forward. But those would be the questions that I would have and the answers that I would like to see just from a, an interest standpoint now that we were kind of dragged into this thing because it happened right as Alabama was coming to Columbia. Okay, we'll hit the break here at the bottom of the hour. We'll hear from those coaches coming up, and we can take your phone calls. And Mike Morgan, Mike Morgan on the move, who was on the call last night of that ball game. He'll join us 7.05, and we'll be back. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network on this big Thursday night across the state of South Carolina. Another beautiful day. You know, this is one of those nights. Of course, we're not in conflict with it now, but I know what you were doing today. I know what you were doing. You were watching or listening to the Murdaugh trial. I know I was. I was in Florence today to speak to the Fine folks at the uh, Florence Kiwanis Club, at the Florence Country Club. Thank you, Charles Howard, and everybody for inviting me. Always good seeing everybody. And on my way back, I tuned in. Riveting. Riveting, riveting, riveting. I mean, you know it's big when all the national networks cut into their programming and start carrying that testimony, a la the O.J. Simpson trial. So, big stuff down in Walterboro, and Jim Corbett will be along in our last uh, segment of the program tonight to talk about it from a legal standpoint, from a lawyer's standpoint, what he saw, what he observed, what he uh, took away from it. So, we'll have that for you a little bit later on tonight as well. But I know that's what you were doing today because I would have been doing the same thing if I were home, and I did listen as I was driving back from the PD. Phone number, 888 South Carolina Education Lottery Lucky Number for you here on Sports Talk. Uh, let me mention a few other uh, things that we uh, have for you. Berkeley High School named their new head football coach. Eric Lodge is a new head coach at Berkeley. He comes from down in Florida. He was very successful at Seminole High School in Florida. He replaces Dr. Jerry Brown in two years. I'm sorry, in three years at Seminole, he went 32-4. and four. He won the 8A state championship in 2020. Pretty awesome. So he is headed to uh, to Berkeley High School. Berkeley coming off a 3-9 and nine season. Lost in the second round of 5A playoffs. So there you go. Berkeley uh, fills that job. And uh, what else? A um, couple of things from yesterday that we didn't touch on. Patrick Toney who was the co-DC and play caller at Florida last year. Looks like he's headed to the uh, Arizona Cardinals as a defensive assistant. And that's from, that's from Chris Lowe of ESPN. And Billy Napier is targeting 
Austin Armstrong, newly hired at Alabama. In fact, I think he might have hired him away from Alabama. G was just hired at Alabama, and so it looks like Billy Napier is hiring Austin Armstrong to be the new uh, coordinator, defensive coordinator there at Florida. We mentioned last night with Kerry Tharp the television ratings for the Daytona 500, 8.173 million. That's perceived as really good. It carried today in sports the NBA All-Star game that night, 4.59 million. NBA Saturday night, 3.42 million. The Genesis Open matched that, 3.42. The XFL on ABC, St. Louis and San Antonio, 1.57 million in Vegas and Arlington, 1.53 million. Okay, don't know how they feel about that. Uh, th- those numbers for their viewership, I wouldn't think that's too awful bad for the XFL. And uh, let's see. Oh, this came out earlier in the week. We never mentioned it. Virginia, according to John Rothstein, Virginia will play Florida. Virginia Tech will play South Carolina in a doubleheader at the Spectrum Center in Charlotte on November 10th. He's citing multiple sources. So Virginia will play Florida. Virginia Tech will play the Gamecocks. Charlotte, November 10th. That should be kind of fun, I would say. All right, our poll question of the week. Of course, Gamecock freshman forward G.G. Jackson in the top 12 in the SEC in scoring, rebounding, and field goal percentage. Had a bit of a rocky time in February, but he seems to have bounced back from that. So, you know, a lot of scouts were there last night. They were expecting like 30. I don't know if all 30 showed up, but I think they had places marked for like 30 NBA scouts. Where do you think he'll play next season? The answers are USC, another D1, the NBA, or the G League. Right now, 29.4% of 513 votes believe he'll be in the G League next year. 26.5% have him going to the NBA, 23% to USC, and to another D1 program, 21.1. So really, it's a a pretty split vote for those who have voted. You still have another day to vote. 513 votes are in, and it's fairly even up and down the selections there. Speaking of the Gamecocks, okay, they played uh, Alabama very tough last night. And Lamont Paris has had his team playing better basketball. They won at LSU, lost a close one last night. I think this um, last few weeks in February, he's gotten everything out of this team that he could get. When you look at the results in February, a two-point home loss to Arkansas, an 11, no, a nine-point loss at Missouri, a game they were in, a three-point win over Ole Miss, an 11-point home loss to Vanderbilt in which they were really kind of – now, they were kind of blown out in the first half there. Maybe that final score is lipstick on a pig. Uh, and then a win at LSU and then a very close one overtime game last night. So he does have his team uh, playing better in February. But that was a tough one last night. You know as a head coach, to beat the number two team in the country, he wanted that. His players wanted that. He expressed that to the media after the game. Man, that was a hard one to go into the locker room and try to figure out something clever 
to tell those guys and make them feel better about what just happened. So, um, but uh, that's part of this whole thing. But uh, a great effort. Um, played. Not only was it great effort, they played well. They played well. They executed a scouting report, defensive scouting report, incredibly well. I mean, really well. And um, and then and then played was aggressive, made some shots when we needed to. It was tit for tat. They were making plays, we were making plays, but we were getting a lot of stops when we needed to and um, just just wanted it really bad for those guys. Uh, we've talked about this before, just you're doing all these things well, you're making all this improvement, says who? Says the scoreboard, says the, says the win-loss record. Um, so it can be hard for those guys to see that and um, – Obviously, they're making a lot of progress in the way that they played today. So, um, was happy about that. But uh, you know, just felt there was a knot in my stomach uh, for for those guys. Lamont, obviously, an inspiring performance. Uh, can you pack this kind of thing up and take it into the next game? Is that easy to say? Did it here? You can do it in the next game as well. Yeah, I mean, who? That's drain. It's a draining, emotional game and physical game. We had some guys with heavy minutes. Um, so we'll just get back to the lab tomorrow and guys will get treatment and get rested up uh, as much as they can and get ourselves mentally ready to get on to the next thing. So um, I hope we can, but, but you know, it's a lot goes into a game like this and then a lot gets sucked out of you when you don't, when you don't win. I think that's human nature. <clears throat> so we'll get back. We'll try to make it business as usual at practice and start preparing for the next game and, and uh, you know, hopefully come out with, with the same level of intensity, the same attention to detail. I thought that was a big part of what was helping us in this game was our defensive attention to detail. Um, and then uh, offensively, we were aggressive. We got into the double bonus, I think, in the first half, and so that, that helped us as well. Lamont, you mentioned the fact that it was tough to go into that locker room. What was the, the message for the team as you kind of try to make sense of what you saw out there? I mean, honestly, just kind of the same stuff I told you guys is that you deserve to win. You deserve better. You did enough good things to win the basketball game. I, I, I do know that. You know, we made some mistakes also. Um, <clears throat> they, needed, they needed a basket on two occasions, and they got a layup out of it. And so, um, you know, their quality of shot in the in the waning moments was probably higher than what it should have been, but just honestly, just that, just that you you deserve better. You deserve better, and then let's get back to it tomorrow. And that tonight, probably, what I'm saying to you is not going to make a whole lot of sense. You're, I'm telling you to 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 take pride in what you did out out there, and. I just don't know that they're going to be able to do that tonight as young guys that just went through that. But, um, yeah, so that was the message. And then I was proud. I'm really proud. I'm proud of what they did, how they, how they communicated with each other, um, just the stuff that's being said around the locker. And, I mean, in the uh, huddles and timeouts is significantly uh, – a significant where it was in, you know, December, January. I guess Josh was on the bench working on his knee. Um, is he okay? And how much did it hurt not having him or Hayden for stretches and overtime? Yeah, uh, you know, I haven't really even talked to him about that. Um, but uh, it hurt without those. It hurt Hayden's foul fouling out was a big was a big hit for us. You know, to just you have some flexibility 
offensively, particularly if late in the game like that you can go small um, uh, with Betty Ako in there. It, it, it makes us make some decisions, but it certainly makes them make some decisions as to what you're going to give up late in the game. And it was hard to not have Hayden out there um, in those situations. Whether he shoots it or not, he just creates. It's a different. It's a different level of attention. We've seen it in other games where we played small late in the game, and um, you know uh, we went spread, and, and he was able to create something um, just by being in there as a more mobile guy at the five. Uh, obviously, containing Brandon Miller is a lot easier said than done. Uh, you know, saw GJ, GG on him early in the game, Michi on him at points. Just what was kind of the, the game plan, and why is he so difficult to stop? Game plan was, you know, just to try to make the shots as difficult as you could and play your rules. And, you know, he earned a lot of those. We gave him a couple. We fell asleep one time, and we weren't there to guard him. We didn't close out with a sense of urgency. Um, one time he got another three in the zone, um, which is sort of a calculated risk at that point. But um, why is he hard to stop is that's, I don't know. He's really good. He's long. He's talented. He's athletic. Um, he's going to be playing next year probably for a team that's going to pay him a lot of money. Um, I mean, if he so chooses to. But I mean, he's really talented. He's really good. He can shoot the three. He can drive it to the basket. He's stronger than what you think and physical as he gets down there. He's a good finisher. He finished with his left hand late in the game two times to win the game. So he's a hard, he's a hard guy to guard. But you know, I don't get as much into that as, as writers do. I mean, we could have won that game. Say it was 39 he scored instead of 41, and we win the game, right? And then it's a different deal. Or you know, someone else could have scored a lot of points. But um, it's, he's really good, and so it makes sense to talk about the fact that he had a bunch of points. But he had a bunch of points in a game where they scored less than, even in overtime, less than what they're averaging. And so I'm, I'm, not, as, I'm not as interested in the fact that he, he scored more, scored a little less. Us as a unit, I think we did a good job defensively against them. All right, Lamont Paris, some of his thoughts from last night's loss to uh, Alabama. All of it's on our website, sportstalksc.com, so you can go up there and check it out and listen to what he had to say. Also, it's up in our podcast closet, SoundCloud. Just look up Sports Talk Media Network on SoundCloud to get all the elements that we have on the show. And Coaches who talk after games, we put those in podcast form for you at SoundCloud. Also, it gets over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. We'll hit the break. Hear from Brad Brownell coming up. Hi, I'm Jim Corbett. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years. There's one thing I've learned about injury cases. It's you need the personal touch. You need the lawyer to get to know you and describe your damages. You don't want a case manager talking to an insurance company and then talking to you and then talking to maybe to a lawyer with limited experience at the last minute to try to settle a case. I talk to you. I find out what your case is about. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com for your injury cases. Founders Federal Credit Union knows your life is busy and your money is important. We are proud to offer local personalized services and convenient online services like Founders Online and the Founders app. 
You'll love being with us as much as we love serving you. Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership with Founders. Relax. Win with Founders. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. All right, up at Clemson last night, the Tigers came out hot against Syracuse. I mean, they really put the Orange to sleep uh, pretty early. I, I Syracuse had a couple of runs in there, but pretty much this was all in the hands of Clemson from the outset. The Tigers shot the ball extremely well, and that's a good win. I mean, Syracuse is not the Syracuse of yore, but they're still Syracuse, and they still play that 2-3 zone. And if you're not ready, if you don't prepare for it, you can have a tough night shooting the basketball. And uh, Clemson handled that well, 91-73. And Tigers win it. And what a night for Hunter Tyson. 10 of 16, 6 of 12, 3 of 3, 29 and 10. Is he first team all ACC? Is, I would think, with Duke and North Carolina kind of being where they are, now, NC State's going to get some people on there. But can Clemson get P.J. Hall and Hunter Tyson on the first team All-ACC? They're deserving, don't you think? But you know Virginia's going to get some. Uh, Pitt will probably have a player in there. How about Chase Hunter last night? He had 13 points, 11 assists. Tigers had 28 assists on their 34 baskets. They shot 51% in the first half. 53% in the second half, so 52.3% for the game. Did a nice job on the boards. They won that 38-28. Only turned it over seven times, and they forced 11. It was a complete victory. Coming off that loss to Louisville, Brad Brownell, you know, even though they lost to Louisville, he's been feeling pretty good about the way his team has been playing, and he said to the media, last night afterwards that this was just a continuation of how they've been playing. I don't think we're playing that poorly. Um, tonight we played exceptional, and some of it just is shooting, right? It's as simple as making shots. Um, but I thought we had great energy, got some offensive rebounds. Ian was really good that first possession. Hunter was unbelievable making shots. I thought defensively we did a nice job in the first half. We were really locked in and um, did a good job on Jesse Edwards, um, who I love as a player, um, and just, you know, did a nice job holding the lead and then dealt with a bunch of press and different things throughout the game. They made a couple runs, and we answered it every time. So just extremely pleased with our players and, and happy for our guys to, to win this one. This was a good one. Yeah, I mean, it's just good for our team to see the ball going in. After a game where we shot four for 24, you know, we needed to see the ball go in. Um you know, and he's our leader. He's a, you know, we didn't have any doubt that he, you know, he would play well tonight. And uh, so, yeah, I think those were important sh important shots early. You know, when you make shots, then it spreads out a little bit. When you have a lead, it spreads out. Like in the second half, obviously they're pressing and everything's different. Then, you know, they're, there's some open court stuff. They're, they're just wider because they're trying to get a steal or two, and now you can get the ball inside a little bit easier. So it's really different when it's that way versus maybe the way it was in the first half. Even though we executed, I thought, very well. But, 
you know, you got to make shots. If you don't make shots, it's challenging because it's not easy to get it to the places you want to get it to. Um, and so, but, you know, we had a nice mix to our game today. Our guys did some good things. Yeah, it helps a little bit. Obviously, you know, personnel with different guys, um, you know, there have been times I've played them, obviously, when they're 6'8", six, 6'8", eight, six, eight, you know, 7 feet, and guards are 6'4", and it's the arms are longer, and it's harder to move the ball and get it around places. Um, you know, Syracuse is a young team. They have young players. They have some good young players, but they're, they are young, um, you know, minus Gerard and Edwards. Um, and Coach has done a good job of growing that team. They're, they're much different. I watched a couple games in November and December. They're much different playing much better, um, and their zone has improved. Um, you know, it's hard to win on the road. It just it just is. Um, you know, part of it's the crowd. Part of it's guys shoot better at their home home environments. And, uh, you know, we, we certainly did that today. It helps having some older players that have dealt with it and played against the zone and, and just, you know, in shorter preps, you know, can get ready in a couple days because I mean your scout team tries, your coaches try to simulate what it's like, but it's you know it might be half as good, and probably not even that. It's just you know, and we got sticks that we use sometimes to try to make the guy's arms longer to pass around and do different things to to work on that. Um, so yes, it helps to have older guys. Yeah, we didn't double him, um, but we had. I mean, we guard him with a man and a half. Um, we had people in his lap when he caught it. We um, and, you know, credit Judah Mintz, he made some shots. You know, we, we played off of him some and um, to, to try to muck it up in there and, and to try to make it hard to limit some of his touches. And then when he did catch it, to not let him have quite as many dribbles. And, and uh, you know, I really love him as a player. It's, it's fun. He's, he's like Hunter Tyson for Syracuse, right? Hunter Tyson for our program is player development, and they've done a phenomenal job with Jesse. I mean, he is completely different than he was as a freshman, and it's been fun to watch his progression. I just I love how he plays. He's competitive on both ends. His improvement in terms of his skill level is off the charts. Right hand, left hand jump hooks, shot blocks, rebound. I just think he's a terrific player. Brad, do you think? It kind of is in some ways, but, you know, I mean, our, we knew they're, you know, I mean, we've been trying on all these games. It's not like we're not trying you know I, I thought I thought we've played better than our record has showed in the last five games but other teams have finished some games against us and other teams have played well and there have been times in the game when we haven't won the crucial possessions that you have to win um, you know you get a margin or you have a lead and you don't finish a half or you you're you get yourself back in a game and you start the half poorly and now you're down 10 and you're playing from behind and it's hard to do that on the road um, um, but then, you know, you look at some of the stats and some of the games, like the Louisville game, and I mean, five turnovers, we win 20, by 20 points in the paint, we win fast break points, we, you know, but you shoot four for 24, and it's hard to overcome that. Uh, and you miss some crucial free throws when we had chances in the comeback, and some of our good players missed a couple. You know, you, you just, some of that's basketball. Like, Tonight we make a bunch of threes, some guys that haven't made as many, and I'm sure Coach Beheim's scratching his head like, holy cow, those guys made them tonight. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard. Hard as a coach that way. It's hard as a player. Um, but So I think our team has hung in there. I know we've had good focus, energy. The kids are practicing with, with great effort and energy, and 
Um, today was good to get back home. I miss, we've played very well here. I mean, we've, we've been terrific, minus one game all year. Um, in the last two games here, we've played outstanding. So um, some of it is just being back home and being comfortable and, and having our fans support us like they have all year. All right, Brad Brownell, Tigers win it last night, got a big one on the road Saturday afternoon at NC State, win that one. Virginia becomes even bigger on Tuesday night. By the way, mentioned the other night a projection for Gigi Jackson for the draft. Sam Vecine, Sam Vecini of The Athletic projects him 22nd to the heat. Here's what he wrote about him. We've certainly gotten every chance to see where Jackson's game stands this season as South Carolina and the coaching staff have laid it all bare for scouts to see. The team doesn't have a ton of high major talent around Jackson. So the Gamecocks empowered the 18-year-old to be the primary centerpiece of a high major offense. This was not an ideal plan, and the results haven't been pretty. This was written about a week ago. South Carolina has one of the worst high major offenses in the country. Jackson's counting numbers look fine, 15.6 rebounds, remarkably low, 47.4 true shooting percentage, 6.4 assist rate, a very high turnover rate. He doesn't really read the floor all that well yet or generate open shots for his teammates. Defensively, he has looked a lot less impressive than he did at times when playing at lower levels. It seems like Jackson is getting frustrated. Again, this was going back about a week or so. But he is still picked there for the first round. Be right back. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. Okay, we're back at Sports Talk, big Thursday night. For those of you just tuning in and catching us, welcome in. You missed a fantastic first hour. Heard from Brad Brownell following the win last night. Heard from Lamont Paris following the tough loss last night. Gave you more of our thoughts on Brandon Miller. And uh, a man who was there to watch it all and call it all for ESPN last night, was our good buddy Mike Morgan. As he joins us, Mike Morgan on the move. He made the move back to Atlanta from Columbia last night after calling the basketball game at the CLA. And he is brought to you by Brent Skinner. Brent Skinner Clothiers in Columbia. Of course, Brent not only become the leader in Columbia for the very best in men's clothing, clients nationally have come to know him, and he has you covered If you want to look your very best, Brent and his staff provide you with professional and individual attention to create a wardrobe that distinctly and identifies you. I didn't write this. Uh, Mike did. They put an and in there where it doesn't belong. Uh, From custom suits and shirts to the very best in shoes and accessories, it's all under one roof. And if you can't make it to the Columbia store in the Vista Brent will come to you. So set up an appointment today at bpskinnerclothiers.com. That's bpskinnerclothiers.com. 
And, of course, every time Mike comes to Columbia, he gets by BP Skinner Clothiers to get an update on the socks and the ties, the shirts. Did you walk out of there with a big bag of uh, goodies while you are in town? I didn't get to swing by. A oh. uh, little bit uh, little bit busy this time out. But uh, I've got one more trip to Columbia. Uh, for basketball, the the finale, mm. and uh, I will I will definitely say hello to the venerable Brent Skinner during that trip. Well, I'm sure that maybe you should announce that in advance so he could draw a crowd. <laughs> he's got more business than he knows what to do with. Not that he won't take some more. Yeah, but he's doing quite well. He doesn't need any uh, any solicitation vis a vis me being there for an appearance. True. True. What a game last now, night! Bill though. Cornblue mm. came there. That's, that's oh. another story. That's I don't you know, publicize it's a different different my, body type. My it's clothing, a, you know. my clothing appearances. I I don't publicize. Actually, you know, I yeah. I do a lot of my clothes uh, clothes shopping now in Chicago. I'm kind of a Chicago guy. Is that right? Yes, I'm up in Chicago quite the, uh, a bit. The Al, Cap- so. the Al Capone line. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> All right. So last night you had number two in the net against number 236, and it it played like, and it sounded like two versus one. I mean, the atmosphere, the competition, say what you will about the actual teams. I mean, it was a heck of a basketball game. Yeah, let me start here. Uh, The atmosphere, uh, you know, you you go to more games there than I do, obviously, but I, I do my fair share every season. That's the best atmosphere I've I've seen there in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I that I I don't know where that came from. I like the uh, the cockpit what they're doing to get the students more involved. I thought the students were fantastic. Um, I was really impressed. Hey, look, that's a Wednesday night nine o'clock, and it's a team that while they have shown signs here of of progress of late. Yeah, it's still a team that clearly is is in a rebuilding year. I I was really impressed by the crowd and how much they were into it. So kudos to those that that showed up. I thought that really made a difference. It made for great television, that's for sure. And to your other point, uh, I don't think think Carolina could play a much better game. I mean, it really did and had multiple chances to win it. And in the end, the best player in the building – made more plays. Otherwise, uh, you would have seen one of the bigger upsets this season. Okay, so I don't know if you can answer this question as a play-by-play guy, but you're also a talk show host some in Atlanta. you have any problem with him, Brandon Miller, playing last night? Well, I guess you didn't see much of the broadcast, but we we handled, uh, covered this, I should say, from the very jump all the way through. So we we actually we don't normally have a sideline report. I mean, I've had Alyssa Lang for a couple of games uh, at Alabama, just kind of more on the lighthearted side. We were not scheduled to have a sideline reporter for this game. And literally in a 24-hour span uh, from the time that news came out, they, they called one of the best guys we have in Coley Harvey. Uh, he got on a plane, headed down there. And then there's uh, an email chain and conference calls with, uh, you know, people in, in uh, management about how we're going to handle this and what we're going to do. And it was decided we're not going to waste any time. We're going to address it right at the very top and then uh, a second kind of a rehash in the second half. 
what I'll tell you is, from from my standpoint, the first question out of my mouth was, I'm working with Seth Greenberg, who mm. you know, uh, 22 years as a head coach, several at Virginia Tech and the ACC. Um, and I just said, Coach, what, what, what would your role be in handling all this? And I can tell you initially, Seth, when I first met with him, Seth's a pretty fiery guy. He was all in on, hey, I, I think the kid should be suspended. And then we go to shoot around. We talk with Coach Oates. We get more of the facts. And then all of a sudden, Seth is on the side of, well, it's really up to the university at this point. There's no legal uh, uh, no legal, legal ramifications, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, no charges of any kind. He's cleared from a legal standpoint. And then as more and the more of the facts came out, I think uh, a couple of key things, and I'm not going to go over the whole case here and bore your audience, but no matter what you think on this, at least it's important to have the facts right. And and I think that's what we tried to do, at least in the couple of segments that we dedicated to it. It, it, I can't tell you how many people said that it was his gun on social media, on reports, on – I mean, that is a big deal that (laughs) it's not his gun – he didn't bring the gun. He never had possession of the gun. The gun is in the back seat of his car giving a ride to a teammate and his teammate's buddy. Uh, so, you know, look, I think the two people <laughs> that are directly involved with the murder, uh, there's not enough punishment for someone like me. I have no tolerance for someone just going out and firing off 12 rounds and killing an innocent woman. But in the case of Brandon Miller, that, that that is night and day compared to what Brandon Miller's role, if any, is in all this. It's a news story, and it's a tough decision for Nate Oates. And Nate Oates put his foot in his mouth and handled it incorrectly at first with his words. He apologized for that. But I'm going to tell you this. I don't know many coaches in college football and basketball, given those facts, would take their best player on a potential national championship team and kick him off the squad, as some people would suggest. Yeah. I mean, look, he hasn't been charged with anything, and the officials there say they don't have anything to charge him with. I get that. I'll tell you what I've said here to kind of sum it up. It's not our baby. It's It only became our baby because they happened to be coming to Columbia. Had they been going somewhere else, it wouldn't have been such a big deal to us. But since they were coming here, it kind of became a big deal. And where I summed it up was this. I believe he had to know the gun was in the car. Because Mm -hmm. when he got the text message, he didn't respond by saying, where's the gun? And apparently he didn't turn around and go back to campus to get the gun. He had to know the gun was in the car. So he drives there. Why didn't he think about why his teammate wanted the gun? He could have prevented this whole thing by saying, I'm not bringing you a gun at 1 o'clock in the morning after you've been out drinking all night, not knowing what kind of trouble you're in. You're in now, unless he felt peer pressure by dealing with an older teammate who's a buddy, and maybe he didn't want to try to deal with him in that manner. But also, there's this question that nobody's answered: the policy of the University of Alabama is no firearms, no guns, no weapons on campus. You can't have one. You can't transport one on campus. I gotta believe at some point in time they were on campus with this gun, either in their car or in their residence dorm. And so why is that not a violation of the university policy 
and why was he not impacted by that? Those are the questions I have. All fair questions, all fair points, and I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, nobody does. <laughs> and, and honest, yeah. Well, yeah, of course. And 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 all and always in a case like this, it's a, a bit of he said, uh, she said. But I will tell you this: there is video and audio uh, evidence of everything that went down. Yeah. So there, there's not as much hearsay as you might think. According to the people that I spoke to. They've got all this on tape. So if there was something really incriminating, specifically in the case of Brandon Miller, I find it hard to believe that in a town like Tuscaloosa, Alabama, they'd have any problem pressing charges. Uh, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't see that. That's not the way they roll over there. Um, but uh, again, you, somebody brought up a great point to me uh, today. It was a fellow analyst who called me and giving his thoughts. Mm-hmm. He said, you know. There's such a thing as not being guilty, but also not being 100% innocent. Yeah. And and, and innocent in, in terms of, you know, bad judgment. I, I don't think there's any question that there's some bad judgment here. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But, again, I have no dog in the fight. And as you mentioned, for a lot of uh, fans, do, do they really care unless it's, they're playing against Alabama or whatever. I don't know. I mean, this became a major story yesterday. I couldn't believe, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. Remember, we're not, it's not football season and it's kind of a slower time of year, but you had people that don't watch a a lick of college basketball all season long that had hot takes ready to go on social media. The moment this news came out and the amount, as I said, it's okay to have an opinion one way or another. I'm not going to argue with you either way. But the amount of people that had just their facts completely wrong yeah. in the process of leading to their opinion, it's just like, if you're going to go public with that, at least have an idea of what you're talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you want to know, you want to get a grasp on it. And as time went on and more and more information came out, I got a, a better understanding. But do you think Nate Oates hurt himself with his comments? Because I happen to believe my philosophy has always been when somebody openly states their opinion and openly states things about an issue and and they're asked a question they give their reply and, and there's not a gun to their head they're not being forced to they just openly tell you what they believe i believe that's what they believe now when you go back and retract and you go back and restate and you go back and clarify after you've heard from your higher ups and others around you in crisis prevention then you're putting out stuff that people are feeding you and they're saying you need to say this to kind of save your rear end here so i tend to go by what you originally say when you say something and it wasn't in the heat of the moment he apparently was at a press conference yesterday and made his comments and then he had to spend the day retracting and the first thing he said uh at his press conference after the game last night was further so-called clarification you think he's hurt himself? I mean, I know his basketball coaching <clears throat> is excellent. He's put together an, an excellent team here. But in, in the public eye outside of Tuscaloosa, do you think he's hurt himself any? Excuse me. I, 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 don't, uh, I don't doubt that in some people's eyes he has. He made a mistake in what he said in the press conference. The biggest mistake he made is that he didn't wait until the actual proceedings were done. They're going on simultaneously to him speaking. What he should have done was just say, well, I, 
I'll know more here in the next hour, and I can answer that. But for now, I really have no comment. Mm-hmm. If he could go back and do that and get a mulligan, he would. But again, we're not dealing with you know professional press secretaries. We're dealing with basketball coaches, and they don't always say the right thing or do the right thing uh, when it comes to addressing the media. So he had to go back. He had to apologize. Kind of came across as insensitive. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, Alabama fans love some Nate Oates uh, because Nate Oates is a hell of a basketball coach that resurrected a program. And I I don't think they're going to turn their backs on Nate Oates because of this. Uh, Will some fans across college basketball, you know, will their opinion of Nate Oates change? Probably. Uh, But I don't, I don't know if that's going to keep the fans of Alabama or even Nate Oates up at night. All right, sir. Uh, What you got coming up this weekend? Got Florida Vandy Saturday evening on ESPN2. Vanderbilt before the loss to LSU was the hottest team in the league. Jerry Stackhouse really had that team going well and and still might the rest of the year. I don't think anybody wants to play him. They've got a seven-footer in Liam Robbins who is a a special talent, is finally healthy. Uh, They've got a really good point guard who's a grad transfer from UC Davis of all places. And they just play well. Uh, they just play well together. And so uh, they've been fun to watch. I actually enjoy doing uh, Jerry's games. And then Florida, you know, right now Florida without Colin Castleton, just, just fighting to get into the NIT at this mm-hmm. point under first-year coach Todd Golden. All right, last thing we'll let you go. When you look at the SEC, you analyze it here. Who are your locks at this point? Your locks and your bagels. Who is your locks for the uh, NCAA tournament from the SEC, and who are your bagels? I think I'll start that up for my uh, a bracket. Call it locks and bagels. Anybody done that one yet? Anybody use that yet? They've already they've stolen my March Madness, so maybe locks and bagels can yeah. be mine. Yeah, you invented the Cobb salad too, didn't you? I, uh, you and Bob Cobb. Um, I don't know what you mean by bagels. What what is a it? Bagel? Just goes with locks. Bagels just goes with locks. <laughs> okay, all right. I thought you you were looking. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the locks and, and bagels, according to the corn blue index, uh, <laughs> starting at the top, Alabama, A&M, Tennessee. Mm. Uh, I think Arkansas is in very good shape. Missouri's in very good shape. Auburn is in decent shape. That's six. Uh, Mississippi State, who I'll have next week, is on the proverbial bubble. That would be seven. Oh, I didn't even mention Kentucky. That Kentucky is they're, they're in. Hmm. So I, I think the SEC will. If I were to make a prediction on the number of bids today, it would be seven, six, seven. And you're skipping Auburn with a thirty-three right now. You don't have Auburn. You don't think no, Auburn? No, I said Auburn. Did you say Auburn? I said Auburn. That give them. Yeah. All right, so Alabama, A&M, Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, you think's in, and then Missouri, yep. Arkansas, seven, and Mississippi State, you see bubble? Uh, Mississippi State bubble. Mm-hmm. So Mississippi State could get in, but if they do get in, it might be at the expense of knocking out one of those other SEC teams in the SEC tournament. Mm. Okay. We thank you as always. Have a great night, a great weekend. Go get yourself some locks and bagels somewhere at uh, a fine deli in Atlanta. And we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, it's good stuff. Throw a couple of slices of red 
a red onion on there, nice slice of uh, uh-huh. tomato. Oh, yeah. It's nice stuff. That sounds scrumptious. I'm going to go grab one right now. It's good. Nothing like good raw fish. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Yes. Okay. All right. See you. Mike Morgan. Obviously never heard of a lox and bagel before. Not very, uh, not much of an international guy. If you haven't heard of lox and bagel, if you don't know lox and bagel, you don't, you're not very international in my eyes. Uh, thank you, Mike. Great as always. Tennessee. Are we starting to see a little trend here? You know, Gamecocks had to battle to win at Ole Miss overtime. They are down after a quarter to Tennessee, 19 to 10. 19 to 10. They are down, and um, Boston's got four points, one rebound. Uh, Tennessee's being led by Jackson, Ricky Jackson. She's got seven points. And so Tennessee has the lead on the Gamecocks at this stage. The Gamecocks are 5 of 20, 0 for 4 from 3, have not taken a rebound, while Tennessee is shooting 53% at this point, 0 for 2 from 3, 3 for 4 from the line. So the Gamecocks got some work cut out for them. They are down 19 to 10. After the break, give you a, a few recruiting notes. Not much today because been busy traveling. Didn't have a chance to get much done. Give you a couple of notes that we've run across. And then Coach Mike McGuire from Upstate joins us. Talk some Spartan baseball because they are off to an undefeated start. And Jim Corbett wraps it up. He's been watching the Murdaw testimony today. We'll get his thoughts on what he heard from the defendant. That's all coming up here on Sports Talk. Be back in a moment. Life, it has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's little things like hitting every red light or dropping your cell phone. Maybe it's the bills, rent, or pressure at work. But when it comes to the South Carolina Education Lottery, you should never feel like playing will solve everything. The lottery is a game. It's played for fun. So set a dollar amount. Expect not to win and make sure responsibilities, family, friends, and work come first. Visit PlayResponsiblySC.com. George Bryant here for Tsunami Bar Sports, and some say the fun is in the winning. I say the fun is in the training. And Tsunami Robbie, what do you say? George, we all know you get more done when you're having fun. This technology is different, it's engaging, but it's also a lot of fun to use. Hi, this is Phil Kornblut. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any Tsunami Bar order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait, order today. We are back. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. Give you the recruiting report tonight brought to you by our good friends over at Seawells. You know where I'm going to be tomorrow. Do you know where I'm going to be tomorrow? RBF. Roast Beef Friday. Be there or be square. How much are you going to eat tomorrow, Pat? I know you're going to be there. I probably will. I went, I went today. I'm a big oh. fan of the, back, the bacon-wrapped meatloaf today and the fried fish nuggets. That, Mom, that combo, the meatloaf! That's right. That combo is calling my name. Yeah. 
Roast Beef Fridays are tough to beat, though. That sounds great tomorrow. Yep, Roast Beef Friday tomorrow, 11-2 to 2 over at Seawells. Make sure you get there. Get there early. You don't want to be, uh, you know, last in line for Roast Beef Friday. You want to get some of the good stuff. Throw some of that good gravy on there. Maybe have some mashed potatoes, some green beans, little uh, banana pudding for dessert. Oh, yeah. It's good for what ails you, okay? So get over to Seawells Daily Lunch and Buffet, the very best in the catering business, Seawells, 803-771-7385, online at SeawellsCateringSC.com. So one particular interesting note in recruiting, wide receiver Jonathan Paler of Burlington, North Carolina, told 24-7 Sports he has set two official visits, Clemson, on June the 2nd, and USC on June 23rd. He also plans to visit Clemson unofficially March 11th for a spring practice. Paler said earlier this month he has been favoring the Gamecocks, but now Clemson's getting up in there with him as well. USC offered tight end Max LeBlanc of Chattanooga, and he plays for the former Gamecock assistant coach and the former Gamecock quarterback, Eric Kimry there in Chattanooga. And for now, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we've got for you recruiting-wise, unless I run across something else. Like I said, I didn't have a whole lot of time to uh, work on it today because of travel. So we'll do a better job overnight and have some more good stuff for you tomorrow night. But that's where we are with it right here, right now, on Sports Talk as we approach the bottom of the hour, and we'll have Coach Mike McGuire coming up from Upstate. Upstate Baseball coming up for you here after the bottom of the hour break. Then a few minutes with Jim Corbett. Now, let me mention a couple of other things. We've got the pitching matchups for South Carolina Clemson for their games uh, this weekend, and they look like this. They look like this. They look like this. Um, you know, I've got this new Twitter. We've got this new verified Twitter thing, and we're Twitter blue. And they got a new bookmark thing, and um, I'm having a problem. I'm having a problem with it. It's not It's not hanging on to the things I'm bookmarking. You know what I mean? So I'm not real pleased. But anyway, I'll tell you, for the Gamecock series, Sanders on Friday, Hall on Saturday, Mahoney on Sunday. And for Clemson, they're playing UCF, so good competition for Clemson this weekend. It'll be Ammons on Friday. It'll be uh, Austin Gordon on Saturday and Jay Dill on Sunday. And those will probably be the starters the next weekend when the Gamecocks play the Tigers. And we'll be back. Back we are, Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network from here in Columbia, across the state on this Thursday night. Great to have you with us. Update from Tennessee Vols leading the South Carolina women 26-21, 4.34 to go in the second quarter. And also tonight, the Clemson women lead Virginia 16-12, end of a quarter. And 
men's play, Towson on top of Charleston, 11.38 to go in the first quarter, 15-12 Tigers on top of the Cougars. Let's update that, update that now, 23-23, 7.34 to go in the first half, Towson and Charleston, 23-23. Let's talk some baseball. We welcome in from the upstate Spartans, a team off to a 5-0 and start Got a big weekend tournament coming up. Coach Mike McGuire joining us once again here on Sports Talk. Coach, good evening. Great to have you with us. How are you, sir? Doing good. Appreciate you having me on. Yes, sir. Great start. Great start for your Spartans so far this season. Kind of sum up for us those first five games, what you think about your team through five games. Well, we were very optimistic and excited going in to start the year. Uh, I thought it was a chance to be the best club I've had at Upstate. And what is my fourth year here now? And, uh, you know, we've been pretty good the last couple of years. But, uh, you know, this is, we've had three recruiting classes now, and you just try to get better each and every year. And I think this is the deepest team on both sides of the ball that I've had uh, since I got to Upstate. And uh, we've pitched it well. We've pitched it very well uh from the get-go, and, and I thought we had a chance to do that. Uh, you know, we were really good on the mound two years ago, but, uh, you know, lost three of those guys into professional baseball as well as a couple of graduates. And pitching kind of took a step back last year and had to kind of do it with the bats. Uh, but, uh, you know, I felt like, uh, you know, with the couple, the development of a few guys as well as a, a really good recruiting class, I felt like we had a t- chance to return to, you know, kind of uh, – top-tier pitching, uh, and so far, so good. Yeah, and some good hitting. Uh, Noah Sullivan, he's off to a hot start, 471. Cole Caruso, 353. Troy Hamilton, 350. They could only keep that up all season long, huh? Well, that's right, but you know, it's uh, not surprised by any of that, and there's a couple of, there's a couple of really good hitters that have gotten off to a slow start, and that's kind of baseball. I mean, Noah Rabin, uh, you know, hitting a buck 80 or whatever and I mean he's been an all-conference player for each of the last two years so it's just a matter of time till he gets going and uh you know Johnny Sweeney hit a couple of home runs this past midweek down at North Florida and you know he was 0 for 8 the first weekend so you know that's a middle of the lineup bat so you know I, I think that offensively this team has a lot of depth that we haven't had in the past and uh, a lot of a lot of guys we can call upon, and we have so far, and, and most everybody's answered the bell and given the opportunity, and that's only going to make us better as the season goes. Uh, you know, you, you battle injuries all the time. We've already had one injury that, you know, one of our catchers, Kobe Croft, who's uh, hitting the four-hole the first three games of the year, uh, is out with a broken handmate bone uh, now, so we're going to play without him for a period of time. But, you know, as much as that hurts, I feel like, We've done a pretty good job in recruiting uh, addressing areas, so we, we've got some quality depth and guys we can call upon. How excited are you about this upcoming stretch of baseball? Now you beat. Ah, oh, very excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously we've got off to a good start, which is what we wanted to do, and and so forth. You know, now we're into you know this next weekend. Actually, the next two weekends as well as the next two midweeks. I mean. Uh, we're hosting the Spartanburg Inc. tournament this weekend. Uh, Michigan State, uh, Toledo, Northwestern here. I mean, obviously, it's for us. It's an opportunity to get two home Power Five games. That's hard to do as a mid-major. And so, uh, and then next next week, midweek, 
play Clemson over at Floor Field, and then follow that up the following weekend, go to Troy for a three-game series against a really good club out of the Sun Belt. And then the following week, we play the Gamecocks over at Floor. So, you know, we, we're going to get tested uh, pretty pretty well over the next uh, eight games or so and find out a lot about our club for sure. And, you know, I, I think that that's why we play those people, though. Our guys are excited about it. I think understand that, you know, we have a chance to <clears throat> gain a little recognition, a little notoriety if we play like we're capable of. And and uh, we feel like, you know, they're all ga- they're all winnable games, but we understand we've got to play well to do it. How do you view yourself in the Big South race? Well, we finished second each of the last two years. Uh, you know, obviously the goal is first. Uh, I think we've comfortably been second. Uh, you know, for us, uh, Campbell is the club we got to beat. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's kind of been a bit of a two-team race uh, the last couple of years. And, and so I'm not saying that's the case. I mean, obviously it's a lot of much improved clubs and you got to play them all. So, but I, you know, I think that we're a club that's capable of competing for a championship. I think we're talented enough. We can stay healthy and play good baseball. I think we can play with anybody in the country. Uh, you know, saying it and doing it are two different things, though. Well, you get Campbell that last weekend, or not weekend, but, uh, well, I guess part of the weekend, that last regular season mm-hmm. series at your place. I mean, that could be huge, and that could be for it all in terms of the regular season right there. Yeah, it could be. I mean, we've got a lot of baseball between now and then, and we can't get too far ahead of ourselves. I mean, obviously guys are excited about, uh, you know, South Carolina Clemson coming up and, and you know, playing them. But at the same time, we're going to play a good Michigan State team tomorrow. And that's, as a coach, that's what I'm worried about is, you know, let's have a good weekend. Let's play like we're capable of and, and ultimately get better as the season goes. I mean, we've got to be a better club in March than we are in February and, and so forth and just kind of get better every month we want to play our best baseball in may i think we're a good club but we're a far cry from what i think are, are we're capable of as our best and uh and that's good i don't i wouldn't want to be playing our best baseball of the year you know february 17th uh i think uh, there's lots of reason for optimism a lot of excitement about uh, what we can accomplish and yes we're off to a good start we're excited about that but we know that uh, there's a lot of dragons to slay on our schedule uh, coming up, and guys are excited about it. Talking with Mike McGuire a few more minutes, baseball coach at Upstate. You mentioned your pitching, 2.6 ERA through five games. Teams are hitting 198 off of you. Are you locked in with your weekend rotation? You got the guys that are going to carry you through the season barring injury? Well, I, you know, you hope so. Uh, but I've done this a long time, and – there's always something coming around the corner. You never know quite what it is. But I, I don't know that in all my years of coaching that we've ever had the same rotation all season long. You know, whether it's somebody gets nicked up or somebody scuffles or somebody emerges from the for, from the back that emerges to the front, uh, something along those lines that, that always happens. That being said, I really like our weekend rotation. I think they're all three different, but they're all three very capable of pitching deep into ball games. Uh, Reese Dutton and Henry Proger are both JUCO kids that transferred in. Both uh, had phenomenal junior college records, uh, really good arms. Reese, the right-hander, Henry's a left-hander. Um, and sandwiched in between them is Chase Matheny, who's a fifth-year COVID senior that 
came to us as an outfielder at a junior college, uh, pitched a little bit in junior college, is now a pitcher only and has really uh, emerged and developed and uh, into a quality starting pitcher. And, you know, I think the best version of us as a program, as a team, is with those three guys starting, that gives us the luxury of Noah Sullivan, who last year was our Friday guy, was a freshman All-American, pitching out of the bullpen. And uh, I I think uh, we are a better team with him out of the bullpen because I think being able to plug him in multiple times a week uh, helps us win multiple games a week versus, you know, that one game he starts. Mm -hmm. 6-0 last year as a freshman, also DH for us. Um, DH for us this year, off to a great start with the bat. So, you know, it means a lot for us uh, both on both sides of the ball. But, you know, he changes things out of the bullpen, you know, just a four-pitch mix with strikes uh, and uh, really good pitchability. And then Al Holguin, who pitched uh, started on Tuesday down at North Florida, I envision that him having a big role come conference tournament time, which – you know, that may mean he's in the bullpen at that time, which kind of gives uh, Al and Sully both out of the bullpen, I think gives us the best version of us uh, on a weekly basis. And, you know, for that, you know, we need some guys to step up. Matthew Curtis, a freshman right-hander out of Fort Mill, South Carolina, you know, threw five and two-thirds, two runs yesterday, his first college start. And, you know, if he proves as a capable midweek starter, I mean, you know, we're, we're in pretty good place. Uh, I've got – you know, several power arms and good projectable arms that I haven't mentioned that I think are capable in our bullpen as well. All right, let's remind everybody, you got Michigan State tomorrow, 3 o'clock at your place at Harley Park, and then mm-hmm. Toledo on Saturday at 2, and Northwestern at 1 o'clock. So a couple of Big Ten teams coming in, and uh, all those games at Harley Park on ESPN Plus as well. Good luck to you. We'll keep in touch, be watching during the season, catch up with you later on. Really appreciate your time tonight and uh, all the best for you this coming weekend and moving forward. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Coach. Coach Mike McGuire from Upstate. And, again, you're up that way. Good baseball. Michigan State and Toledo and Northwestern. Then, of course, Clemson on Tuesday over at Fleur Field. And as he mentioned, the following week, South Carolina at Fleur Field. That will be on Wednesday. So he's got a good schedule coming up. He's got a nice mixture of playing some Power 5 teams, if you want to call them that for baseball. Uh, Sunbelt teams, which is good baseball. Sunbelt, very good baseball league. Got some James Madison in there. You got some Troy in there. Got a little SoCon with the Citadel. A little Ivy League with Princeton uh, coming up as well. Then, of course, they get into the uh, the Big South schedule, which is the most important thing. Okay, we'll hit the break. Uh, Jim Corbett coming up on the other side. Show your team pride wherever you go with Founders Federal Credit Union's Collegiate Debit Cards. Get your University of South Carolina and Clemson University debit cards at any Founders office or by calling 1-800-845-1614. Plus, our debit cards are digital wallet ready, so you can pay however you please. Not a member? Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Why are interscholastic sports called the last classroom of the day? Because they teach students important life lessons 
like teamwork, accountability, and perseverance. School sports are so much more than a game. They're about developing the whole person. That's why they're an essential part of every student's education. Encourage your student to participate in the last classroom of the day. Interscholastic Sports in South Carolina. This message presented by the SCHSL and the South Carolina Athletic Administrators Association. All right, thanks to Coach McGuire for being with us tonight here on Sports Talk. Good luck to Upstate. He's got a good program, and they're tough. As he mentioned, two years in a row, Big South. Campbell, of course, has been very, very good. Uh, got to get over that hump, no pun intended. But you know what? I did intend that. Got to get over that hump of Campbell. I should have said that to him, doggone it. Coach, you got to get over that hump. <laughs> the Campbell Campbells. <laughs> it works. You gotta, if they beat Campbell – that weekend series, I'm going to write a story that says they're over the hump. All right, so no fret for the Gamecocks. They have come back in the second quarter. They dominate Tennessee in the second quarter, 33-29. South Carolina now leading Tennessee at the half. So much better second quarter for the Gamecocks. And we'll tell you that Zaya Cook has got eight points. Beal's got seven. Uh, Fletcher's got five. Boston's got four and three rebounds in 18 minutes. Not in any foul trouble. Just two for five from the floor. Corn, I'll tell you real quick, too. This is the second game in a row where for a team that has only averaged four and a half, three-point attempts per game, they're already in double digits before halftime. They were only three of 11 the other night in that tough, close win over Ole Miss. And as of right now, they're only three of 12 bit curious to see a team that usually plays inside out seemingly going outside in yeah they're only shooting 31.8 percent so far so not shooting it well not shooting it well from three but they have the lead 33 29 update a couple of other quick scores and then jim corbett will join us uh clemson women playing virginia and it's 35 30 tigers by the way those of you listening to us in columbia that game will miraculously jump on the air here right after us. So stay tuned once we sign off. They'll join that. Uh, they'll jip it. Uh, join it in progress. J-I-P. Uh, at the near the end of the first half, Towson is leading Charleston 35-31, turning out to be quite the tussle. Of course, they did play in overtime up there uh, earlier in the year. All right, let's welcome in our man, the attorney, watching things in the big case down in Walterboro, Jim Corbett. The story you're about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. All right, Jim, welcome in. And, you know, you know a heck of a lot more about this than I do. But I would say the trial. I don't know about that. No, I would say so. You did go to law school. I only watch Law and Order and reruns of A Few Good Men. That's where I get all my uh, law knowledge. But anyway, the trial started today, right? You put the guy on the stand. You uh, have the defense go first and then the prosecution. Wouldn't you say this is kind of really where it all started today? 
So this is the back nine at Augusta is what you're saying, right? I'd say not only the back nine, <laughs> I'd say you've made it through Amen Corner and you're heading home. Uh, you know, it could be. Uh, it was. It's the time that people wanted to see it and wanted to hear it. And, and I heard you say you watched some of the trial and the cut-ins by national news media. Everybody wants to see Alex Murdoch deny it, and he did. Um, and the jury's going to decide, you know, if they, if they believed him. The one thing that struck me about that little sequence with, with attorney Jim Griffin was he stuck at the word intentionally. I, I, I never, did you shoot your wife? No, I didn't do that. And I never, I know other day, I didn't do it on this day at all. And then I never intention, I would never intentionally shoot them. And I think that's, that's, you know, telling, you know, what, what is that? Why is that word there? I know a juror is going to be thinking about that, at least one, um, you know, and it, and, and they'll think of, well, is he trying to, the lawyer in me says, is he trying to set something up for closing argument that, you know, maybe you believe he did it? Well, it wasn't intentional because he's an opioid addict. And then, of course, the opioid addict, he, uh, some reports say, you know, he was testifying saying it started when he was a, at USC when he was a walk-on on the football team. You know, that was a long time ago. And a question will come up, you know, okay, why no issues until now? He said he lied to Sled about where he was in the in the, uh, in the kennels because of his paranoia from opioids. Okay, that's going to be a tough one on cross examination. And and remember the cross examination was was suspended. Um, the defense uh, got their their direct examination, the easier questions, and then Attorney Creighton Waters, the prosecutor, started going methodically through all of the crimes of the, the financial crimes to show lies and deceit and a motive for why he wanted to do this. And then they break. And he has, uh, tomorrow is when Murdo is really going to face the, the, the tougher questioning, the, the stuff about the timeline. What about, why were you there? If you lied about being there, why were you there? Why didn't you hear anything? How could you be there at 844 and then go back to the house and then leave at nine and not hear anything? Didn't you see anyone? Wasn't anyone around? Did you see tire tracks when you came back? He's going to get grilled on everything there. Where are the clothes? I know he testified uh, that the clothes were never asked about uh, until later on, you know, months later, uh, at least month, maybe just a few a few months before the trial. You know, the clothes he changed into. But, you know, where why were you changing clothes? How, how could all this fit in? If you're there at 844 and then you lied to the police and said that you had went there and came back uh, from your grand, from your mother's house, you know, how could you you can't do it under your timeline? This is the real timeline. And compare this, Mr. Mortar, and compare this, Mr. Murdoch. Hmm. So he's going to have a lot of stuff to, to stand up to. And, and and I think one of the things the jury's going to be thinking is, is he just a lawyer who's been coached really well? You know, is he is he fitting things in here? And there and, and even if, 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 if there are genuine points that he's making, um, there is a perception if you're too, if you're too well coached, it shows sometimes they, and the jury doesn't, you know, kind of says, well, that's that's like it looks like it was rehearsed versus I'm prepared for that question and I have an answer for it. So tomorrow is going to be the telling part of the uh, the cross-examination, I think. When Waters gets to move, Mr. Waters gets to move past the financial crimes and past the basic questions into this time, this day. What did you do? Why did you do it? How did this happen then? Who did it? Why? Not you. Where were you? Why did you go there? Why did you do this? Why did you come back? Why did you come back like this? Why did you say this to her, to the, to the housekeeper at your mom's house? Why did you say you to that I was only there 20 minutes later on? Well, because I lied to Slade. Well, uh, duh, yeah, hmm. you know, you lied to Slade. You're trying to cover this up. He's going to have a real grilling tomorrow about the timeline, which is the crux of the prosecution's case. 
Um, you know, it, it was weird. I think uh, Dick Harpootley was quoted as saying that um, um, that the prosecutor, you know, uh, kept asking about the financial crimes. He said something like, this is a murder trial. I haven't heard anything about murder yet in the cross-examination. But that's all going to come tomorrow. Um, little interesting lawyers tidbit. Uh, he had two experts who apparently he wanted to try to get up on the witness stand today to finish out before um, continuing with the cross-examination of Alex Murdo tomorrow, and that was denied by the judge. So they'll have to wait to testify to tomorrow. Hmm. Um, because the judge said that the, the prosecution was entitled to get a continuous flow in the cross-examination. What did you think of the uh, line remember, of questioning? Let me ask you this real quick. This is something I was able to listen to as I was driving today. What did you think of the line of questioning where he referred to his son, Murdoch did, he referred to his son in his testimony as Pawpaw, and yeah, that was Mr. Wasn't it? Mr. Waters kind of drilled him on that because apparently throughout the entire investigative process, he never referred to him in any other way other than Paul. Yeah. Was he trying to create – what image do you think he was trying to create there in the minds of the jury by using the, the name Paul Paul? That's my son. I'd never do anything to harm him. Reminds me of uh, Operation Lost Trust, um, uh, the, the, the uh, investigation – of the people, uh, legislators at the state house, the FBI brought, and mm-hmm. getting how the legendary lawyer from Charleston had his client Tim Wilkes, who was youthful looking, dress up like as youthful as he could with glasses and hair pulled back, and call him Little Timmy throughout the entire trial. <laughs> like Little Timmy couldn't do anything wrong. Little Timmy and Little Timmy got acquitted. So you know that might be a little trick there, or it might be Alex doing, not his lawyers. You know, Alex is a, is a seasoned attorney. Right. Uh, he may not have done all these cases, but he's he watched and heard a lot of uh, stories. So uh, I think that's that's another thing that's going to stick. You know, intentionally, paw paw, uh, timeline, close. Those are the things that go through the jury when they're watching him. You know, their minds are going to be set on those things and and other things. They're going to be asking themselves when they look at him, "Do I believe this guy?" And you know, sometimes a defendant who testifies can do more harm than good. Do you um, do you, you know, think they wrap it up plan. tomorrow? Do you think it? You think it's final? Well, f- final arguments still have to come at some point, right? Right. I think the last timeline I saw was the defense expected to wind up um, tomorrow, Friday, and then they would have motions uh, on Monday and the argument and the charge to the jury Monday and Tuesday. Or maybe Tuesday, they expect a closing arguments. They'll be lengthy. The judge will give them leeway and let them have not quite as much time as they want. But I would not be surprised that the, uh, each side gets an hour to argue. You know, usually it, in most cases that last a couple of days, you got 20 minutes. Civil, typical civil cases, 20 minutes, uh, maybe 25 if it's real complex. But uh, I, I would expect they both get about an hour each. But probably not more. Probably somebody's going to ask for two hours. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> I think the judge will give him an hour. But uh, tomorrow, you know, it's it's going to be that timeline and those clothes. I think those are going to be the things that he's going to be grilled about. How did this happen? How did this happen? How did this happen? And, of course, Alex will be, be trained, be prepared to say, well, the forensic evidence shows that I didn't do it, and then try to get maybe into an argument with the prosecutor if things are going badly. Now, that would be, I think, Alex's decision, not the lawyer's. But, you know, he could always, if he thinks things are going bad, he could always start, you know, basically an argument. Say, well, you're, the forensic evidence shows that I couldn't have done it. I'm six foot four. In other words, to deflect away from the bad stuff that the uh, prosecutor is trying to If the glove out. doesn't fit, it's going to be a glove doesn't fit thing. I don't know. It'll be glove, interesting. Enjoy watching it tomorrow. Glove don't fit, you must acquit. Hey, great job, Jim. Appreciate you. Talk to you soon. Maybe tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you, man. 
Uh, Jim Corbett, appreciate his input on the Murdaw trial. I know it's not sports, but it's big in South Carolina, and that's what we do here on Sports Talk when we have to. That'll do it. Thank you, Pat. Have a great night, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh-huh.